The Heart of St. Thomas More, Daily Reflections, November 17. And albeit Christ forebode St. Peter, being a priest, and under himself prince of his priests, to fight with the temporal sword toward the impeachment and resistance of his fruitful passion, whereupon depended the salvation of mankind, which passion our Savior had before that time so sore reproved and rebuked in him that he called him therefore Satan. Yet is it nothing to the purpose to allege that by that example temporal princes should without the hindrance of such spiritual profit and the sufferance of much spiritual harm suffer their people to be invaded and oppressed by infidels to their other undoing not only temporal but also of a great perpetual which were like of their frailty for fear of worldly grief and incommodity to fall from the faith and deny their baptism in which peril since our Lord would not that any man should willfully put himself and for that cause advised his disciples that if they were pursued in one city they should not come forth and foolhardily put themselves in peril of denying Christ by impatience of some intolerable torments but rather flee thence into some other place where they might serve him in quiet till he should suffer them to fall in such a point that there were no way of escape and then would he have them abide by their weapons like mighty champions wherein they shall not in such case fail of his help now albeit so that christ and his holy apostles exhort every man to patience and sufferance without requiting of an evil deed or making any defense but using further sufferance and doing also good for evil yet neither doth this counsel bind a man that he shall of necessity against the common nature suffer another man causeless to kill him nor letteth not any man from the defense of another whom he seeth innocent and invaded and oppressed by malice in which case both nature reason and god's behest bindeth first the prince to safeguard of his people with the peril of himself as he taught Moses to know himself bounden, to kill the Egyptians in the defense of the Hebrew. And after he bindeth every man to the help and defense of his good and harmless neighbor against the malice and cruelty of the wrongdoer. For as the Holy Scripture saith, 
God hath given every man charge of his neighbor to keep him from harm of body and soul as much as may lie in his power. And by this reason is not only excusable, but also commendable that common war which every people taketh in the defense of their country against enemies that were invaded. Since that every man fighteth not for the defense of himself, of a private affection to himself, but of a Christian charity, for the safeguard and preservation of all other. Here we see a couple of holy teachings of the church, which to the eyes of many seem to be a juxtaposition, but are not. Jesus Christ does advise his disciples not to remain where they are liable to be yanked away from him, but to fearlessly depart to a place where they can serve him in quiet. And faith also compels us to fight for the safeguard and preservation of all others. One reading comes to mind, a chapter from the second book of Samuel. The Lord's anger against Israel flared again and he incited David against them. Go and take a census of Israel and Judah. The king therefore said to Joab and the leaders of the army who were with him, toward all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba, and register the people that I may know their number. But Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God increase the number of people a hundredfold for my lord the king to see it with his own eyes. But why does it please my lord to do a thing of this kind? However, the king's command prevailed over Joab and the leaders of the army. So they left the king's presence in order to register the people of Israel. Crossing the Jordan, they began near Aroer, south of the city in the Wadi, and turned in the direction of Gad toward Jazer. They continued on to Gilead, and to the district below Mount Hermon. Then they proceeded to Dan. From there they turned towards Sidon, going to the fortress of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites and Canaanites, and ending up in the Negeb of Judah at Beersheba. Thus they toured the whole land, reaching Jerusalem again after nine months and twenty days. Joab then reported the census figures to the king. Of men capable of wielding a sword, there were in Israel 800,000, and in Judah, 500,000. Afterward, however, David regretted having numbered the people. David said to the Lord, I have sinned grievously in what I have done. Take away, Lord, your servant's guilt, for I have acted very foolishly. I pause here to read a footnote. The narrative supposes that since the people belonged to the Lord rather than to the king, only the Lord should know their exact number. Further, since such an exact numbering of the people would make it possible for the king to exercise centralized power, 
imposing taxation, conscription, and expropriation upon Israel. The story shares the view of monarchy found in 1 Samuel and also in Numbers, where census taking requires an apop apotropic offering. When David rose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go tell David, thus says the Lord, I am offering you three options. Choose one of them, and I will give you that. Gad then went to David to inform him. He asked, Should three years of famine come upon your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemy, while he pursues you? Or is it to be three days of plague in your land? Now consider well, what answer am I to give to him who sent me? David answered Gad, I am greatly distressed, but let us fall into the hand of God, whose mercy is great, rather than into human hands. Thus David chose the plague, at the time of the wheat harvest, it broke out among the people. The Lord sent plague over Israel from morning until the time appointed. And from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 of the people died. But when the angel stretched forth his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord changed his mind about the calamity and said to the angel causing the destruction among the people, Enough now, stay your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Arayuna, the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking the people, he said to the Lord, It is I who have sinned. It is I, the shepherd, who have done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Strike me and my father's family. On the same day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arayuna the Jebusite. According to Gad's word, David went up, as the Lord had commanded. Now Arayuna looked down and saw the king and his servants coming toward him while he was threshing wheat. So he went out and bowed down before the king, his face to the ground. When Arayuna asked, Why does my lord the king come to his servant? David replied, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Arayuna said to David, Let my lord the king take it and offer up what is good in his sight. See, here are the oxen for burnt offerings, and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for wood. All this does Arayuna give to the king. Ariuna then said to the king, May the Lord, your God, accept your offering. The king, however, replied to Ariuna, No, I will buy it from you at the proper price, for I cannot sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty silver shekels. Then David built an altar to the Lord there, and sacrificed burnt offerings and communion offerings. The Lord granted relief to the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel.
Now, why is this relevant? It is an Old Testament reading about a plague in King David's land. But St. Thomas More was talking about something in the New Testament regarding St. Peter, which he said is nothing to the purpose to allege that temporal princes should suffer their people to be invaded and oppressed by infidels. However, a plague was chosen so that God's chosen people might not fall into human hands and then be in peril of denying Christ. Here, we remember that when Samuel anointed King David, the Holy Spirit rushed onto him, the spirit of the promise. But he was not ruling over a peoples who had been proven wrong about sin by Christ. Thus, the counterbalance of the choice of a plague did not just put the scales into a tipping point, but rather brought it to a breaking point. The chains were broken and it seemed both the safety and faith of the people must be doomed. Jerusalem faced other destruction and King David looked upon the angel. Maybe the most frightening thing a man has ever seen, and in his act of defense, a beautiful thing is seen, the prefigurement of something perfect. We'll conclude with a prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.